Uh, the Apostle Paul said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. So grateful we celebrate that this month. I hope you got your Bibles with you this morning. Most of the Bible verses we'll look at today, we'll have it on the screen so you can follow along, but we will be turning to some, so please have your Bible available. I'd like to continue my messages on what to look for in a pastor. The church has established a pulpit committee. Some, the, the job is to find someone to replace me as a pastor. And they've asked us as a church to pray for the right man for this ministry. They've asked you to pray every Friday that God would provide the right man. I believe there's a man out there just right for our church, and we need to pray for that. Dr. Curtis Hudson, who was the editor of the Sword of the Lord for many years, he's now in heaven, who pastored one of the largest churches in Georgia. He made this statement, i never forget it. He said, God blesses a man, not a ministry. He said again, God blesses a man, not a ministry. I'm sure many of you know ministry, a church that was growing greatly and prospering. And when they changed leadership, the church went downhill. And the reason why, God blessed the man in charge, not the ministry itself. So I believe the man to take my place is very, very important. And I encourage you to pray for the right man. I'm praying God will find someone better than me to move this church forward and see greater growth. And I encourage you to pray for the same thing. So I've been talking about what I consider elements, essential elements of the next pastor of this church. Last week, we talked about the gospel message. How important it is to find a pastor that preaches the gospel of grace and not of works. I did a two-fold message on that. But today, another essential element that I believe that I have sought to build this ministry upon is good, biblical, conservative, godly music. Good, conservative, biblical, godly music. How many realize that churches and believers have different views of music? Uh, you go to five churches, they all have different, a different kind of music. As a pastor, I've sought to build this church upon good, conservative, godly Christian music. And I'd like to focus on that. I know many of you come to this church. In fact, somebody came to me not long ago and said, Pastor, it is so good to come to church that sings hymns. Because so many do not do that anymore. So I like to look at that this morning. Why I do what I do as a pastor and I encourage you, the next pastor, you find someone who does the same thing. Because these are essential elements I believe that are important for the First Baptist Church in Land of Lakes. So let's begin with, we saw the verse. The Bible says, whatsoever you do, it goes on to say in verse 31, what, what there, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all what? To the glory of God. This is a verse for any area of life. What it says here, that anything you do as a Christian ought to seek to glorify God. When you eat or drink or whatever you do, and that would include music, would it not? Do all to the glory of God. Does your music glorify God? I'm not going to talk about your personal music this morning. I'm going to talk about music in the church. Music in the church. So let me give you some ideas, things to look forward this morning. First of all, I'd like to look at the origin of music. Where did music come from? The origin of music. We're going to see, first of all, before the creation of the world, there was singing in heaven. Before God ever spoke this world into existence, before he ever created man, there was singing in heaven. And you'll see the verse on the screen. And Job 38 is a conversation between God and Job. And God said this to this man called Job. And he said, verse 4 of chapter 38 said, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? 
or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Then he goes on to say, during the time of creating the world, he said, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Before God ever spoke the world in existence, they were singing in heaven. When he, before he did that, he said there were uh, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God. The morning stars are a different opinion who that refers to. Some people believe it talks about the stars itself, the plants, the stars. They sing out to God's glory. But the sons of God, no doubt, talks about angels. So whether it talks about the stars and or angels, what it means here, they were singing in heaven. People, they were praising God for who he was and what he's done. The wonderful, powerful God he is. Before man was created, there was music. The singing was in the presence of God. So the origin of music is heaven itself. God created music for his honor and glory. Letter B, we're talking about the past. Now talk about the future. In the book of Revelation, there will be singing in heaven. In the book of Revelation, there will be singing in heaven. In the future, Revelation 14, verse 3. Most of the verses I have on the screen. The reason for this, most time I have you turn with me, but I'm going to cover so many verses that take forever. So there will be some verses we'll turn together, but most of them I have on the screen. So follow along with me, please. Revelation 14, 3. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Talking about in the future, the book of Revelation talks about the future. In heaven they were singing, uh, sung a new song before the throne of God. Revelation 15, 3. And they, sing, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of the saints. In heaven... They're singing in the past, in the future, of how wonderful and glorious our God is. And notice they sang the song of Moses. They're singing scripture. And in Exodus chapter 15, we have the song of Moses. They sang that song. We actually learn the lyrics of that song in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 21. These two passages give the lyrics of the music that would be sung in heaven. So they sang in the past, before God created the world, they will sing in the future, the glory of God. And next thing I want to share with you, God himself sings. Do you realize that? God himself sings. Zephaniah 3, verse 17 says this, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. God sings. Himself sings in heaven. Also, the Lord plays a musical instrument. The Lord God himself plays a musical instrument. Zechariah 9, 14. And the Lord shall be seen over thee, them. His arrow shall go forth as the lightning. And the Lord God shall what? Blow a trumpet. Wow. So God's musical. He sings. He plays an instrument. Before the foundation of the world, they were singing in heaven for his honor and glory. In the future, they will sing unto him. God is a musical God. Next, God created angels, specifically an angelic being called Lucifer with musical ability. God created Lucifer, that Satan's name before he fell, with musical abilities. Ezekiel 28 We'll not read the whole verse, but it says this, talking about Lucifer. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. 
Every precious stone is thy covering, and it goes on to say, the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee the day thou was created. When God created Lucifer, the most beautiful, most powerful angel, he created him with musical abilities. Tablets and pipes are hand instruments and woodwind instruments prepared in Satan the day he was created. He created angelic beings to bring glory and honor to him through music. But looking at these passages, we can come to the conclusion that music originated with God. Music was used in heaven to praise and glorify God for his marvelous works and his marvelous ways. Musical ability was given to many angelic beings created in them, used to glorify God in heaven itself. Next, we talked about the origin of music. Don't let me lose you. I'm going somewhere with all this. I want you to see why I've done what I've done the last 44 years, and hopefully the next pastor will carry on with that. By the way, whose choice is it to be the next pastor? It's not mine, though I have one vote. It's not the pulpit committee. It's yours. The church decides on that. The pulpit committee will present candidates to the church. They will come preach a message, maybe two or three of them. And based upon that, you will vote who will be the next pastor. So I hope, my desire, that you might choose some of the same elements that I've tried to build this church upon, the gospel message, also godly conservative music. Let me now, again, number two, let me give you some scriptural principles for music. Scriptural principles for music. Understanding the purpose of music in the church is extremely important. Many churches are using music for purposes God never intended. As in every area of the believer's life, the Bible is the authority. From it, we should find the purpose which God created music. So God has a purpose for music. We need to make sure our purpose as a church is the same purpose he has. So first of all, the first purpose of music, letter A, music should praise God. Music should praise God. I was working on this message this week, and I realized there are scores of passages in the book of Psalms that talks about the music, singing should praise God. I'm so grateful that our music director, Pastor Self, begins services talking about music, how we ought to sing and bring praise to God. That's what the scripture teaches. Psalm 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. How many appreciate that part? I don't know about you. When I sing, people think it's a noise, but my friend, it's joyful to God. <laughs> Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye earth. Make a loud noise, rejoice, sing, praise. Music is to bring praise, glory, and honor to the God of heaven. Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. It is pleasant and praise calmly. My friend, it pleases God when we sing to him. He's pleased by singing praise to him for who he is and what he's done in our lives. How many of God is worthy of praise? Psalm 104, verse 3, 33, excuse me. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. That should be our testimony. As long as we live, as long as we have been, we should praise God. Music is to praise the God of heaven. Let it be. The second purpose, music should glorify God. Music should glorify God. Not only praise him, but glorify him. A verse we read together at the very beginning, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do what? All to the glory of God. How many believe that music is something we do? He said, whatever you do, that would include music. It ought to be done 
to bring glory and honor to God of heaven. Romans 15, verse 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. With my mental thoughts, even my, what comes out of my mouth, should glorify God, Paul says. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, many of you know this verse. He said, for a Christian, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Music is an expression of our spirit, something we do with our bodies. And Paul says we should do it to glorify God in heaven. So first of all, music should praise God. Number two, music should glorify God. Number three, or letter C, music should edify the believer. Music should edify the believer. Ephesians 4.29 begins with a negative connotation, but it's talking about things that come out of our mouth, which also would include singing. Ephesians 4.29, look what it says, please. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, the redome, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What does the word edify mean? To build up. And some people, what they say is not edifying, it's, ed it's edifying. <laughs> but the Bible says we should edify. The word edify means promote another's growth in Christian virtue and holiness. The words are singing to glorify God, praise him, but also build up the believer in the things of God. Build up God's people in holiness and virtue. Music that is carnal, sensual, or worldly does not edify or build up the child of God, especially in holiness of the believer. Next, music should praise God, glorify God, edify the believer. Music should teach and admonish the child of God. Music should teach and admonish the child of God. Colossians 3.16. Are you, are you staying, hanging in there with me? Don't let me lose you. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another how? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word teacher means to impart scriptural truth. Our singing ought to be scriptural and impart scriptural truth to God's people to, admonish, to teach them, but also said the word admonish them. This means to warn, caution, gently reprove. So when we sing, it should build up the believer, it should teach the believer, and at the same time admonish them. So what I'm trying to say, please listen. Church, music in the church is to be God-centered, not man-centered. Did you understand that? Music in the church should be God-centered and not man-centered. Music is to praise and glorify God. Music is to be used to edify, build up the child of God in the Lord, teach him and admonish him in God's word and God's ways. Also, Colossians 1.16 says everything God created was created for him and by him. Music was created by God, originated with him to glorify and praise him. That's the scriptural purposes. Now, are you with me so far? We're talking about, first of all, the origin of music. Where did music originate at? With God in heaven. God himself sings. He plays an instrument. And we're talking about the purpose of music, the scriptural purposes, is to glorify God, praise God, edify the believer, and teach and admonish the child of God. Now, let's talk about the unscriptural purposes of music. 
the unscriptural purpose of music. The first one, entertainment. Entertainment. I'm talking about music in the church, by the way. Entertainment. Purpose of music is not to entertain. You ever heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? He was a preacher of the 18th century. He was called the Prince of Preachers. He was a Baptist preacher in England, and he was there he as a fundamental preacher fought for the conservatives and against liberalism. And he said this about entertainment in the church. I, I printed it out there. Look what he said. C.H. Spurgeon made this statement about entertainment in the church. The devil has seldom done a cleverer thing than hinting to the church that part of her mission is provide entertainment for people in view of winning them. Providing amusement for people is nowhere spoken in scriptures as a function of the church. The church function is not to entertain. Yet so many churches use music to entertain the people there. Entertainment is not the purpose of the church. When we sing, our audience is to be God, not men. And because of this, we do not seek to entertain men. I say that again. When we sing, our audience is to be God and not man. And because of this, we do not seek to entertain man. Ephesians 5.19 says this. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Our music is directed toward God, not to men. When entertainment becomes our purpose for music, our worship becomes man-centered and not God-centered. Did you understand that? When music, when entertainment becomes the purpose of music, our worship becomes man-centered and not God-centered. Number two, the second unscriptural purpose. The first one is entertainment. Number two, performance. Performance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let me read this to you. It said this, talking about the calling of God upon Christians to serve him. He said, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God hath chosen. Yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. When God calls someone to serve him, he turns the world's standards upside down because he usually chooses the ordinary rather than the outstanding in order, to, in order that no one would boast in his presence. Many times people come perform in the church. And how do men respond to performances? Performances are done for men and respond by men by applause. Performances are done for men and respond by men by applause. By the way, you ever notice we don't normally applause in our church? Don't clap for those things. And we do for children because they need that encouragement. But for adults, we might say amen, praise the Lord. But why do we not applause? Because applause is bringing praise and glory to the one who just sung, not God. I don't know about you, when I go outside the church, maybe go to a concert or something like that, I applaud because you want to give credit to the one who just sang. That's reason we, the reason those who serve in our church, we call them ministers of music. But have you noticed in newer churches, they go from ministry music now to worship leaders? I'm talking about that in a moment. They don't call them ministers of music. They call them worship leaders. Keep that in mind. So performances are done for men and responded by men with applause. It draws attention and glorifies man and not God. 
Interesting, the Thorndike Barnhart Dictionary said this, performer, a performer is one who performs to the entertainment of others. The word applause is praise and approval to the one who just performed by clapping and shouting. That's the reason we don't applause here. Because the person who sings, by the way, is not singing for you. They're singing for God. They don't want your praise approval. They want God's praise and God's approval. And they sing because they want to bring praise to him. But so many churches bring in big name performers and have big crowds and people applause and praise the one who just sang. It robs God the glory that's due him and given to man. The next false or unbiblical purpose of music, the first one was entertainment. The second one was performance. Now, the third one, enticement to come to church. Enticement to come to church. We're going to sing up there, brothers? <laughs> you got to wait. All right, there you go. I wanted to pause and sing there, I guess. All right, enticement. Let me share this with you. Go with me now to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, page 1677. So many churches use music to entice people to come, especially among young people. Why don't you play rock music to draw, Christian rock to draw the young people? That's not the purpose of music. You don't use music to entice people to come to church. Yet so many people want to do that. They change their music to entice people to come to church. That is not the purpose of music. 2 Timothy chapter 4, page 1677. Here Paul is speaking to a young preacher. And that's what he says to young Timothy. In verse 2, he says, Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So he's telling Timothy to preach the word of God. Why? Read the rest of the verse, the next verse. For the time will come, I mean the time has come today, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What does this mean? There's many today that preach a message because they want to tickle your ears. They don't tell you what you need to hear. They tell you what you want to hear. They preach, they preach to please men and not God. So Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Because the time's coming, they will not keep themselves under sound doctrine. But these people will heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. That's what many people do in music. They play music to please men, to entice men to come, and not God himself. And so, listen to me carefully, please. Music is not about you. It's about God. How does, what should I do to draw men to Christ? Lift up Christ. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will what? I'll draw all men to myself. So my job is not to entice men to come by music. My job is to lift up Christ. And if I do that, he'll draw men. It's his job to draw men, not mine. So we need to preach the word. All types of music can be justified when it's used as a purpose to entice people to come. How many realize many churches are playing music is no different than the world? It's just like the music you hear on the bar on Saturday night. You come to church, it's the same music on Sunday morning. The lyrics are different, but the music's the same. My friend, that ought not be so. Music in the church is for worship of God, not to entice men. Let me say it again. Music in the church is for worship of God, not to entice men. 
Number four, the fourth purpose, unbiblical purpose, is to work up a feeling of worship. To work up a feeling of worship. I read the other day about a, a music leader in a church. They don't call them music ministers, they call them worship leaders. And this article he said, it's my job to play music, to work up an emotion in the people, to get people to worship God. They try to work up a feeling of worship. I find nothing's more dishonoring to God. If you have to work up your emotions to worship God, something's wrong. Yet they use music to try to work up the crowd and get them to worship God. We worship God because of he deserves our worship, not because we've worked up some certain feeling to do so. We worship him because he's worthy, not because we feel like it. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I'm church, I don't feel like singing. But I don't sing because I feel like it. I sing because he's worthy. And that's when we should do that. We worship him because who he is and what he's done, not because we feel like it. So many churches play music to work up an emotion, get you to all riled up so you might worship God. My friend, that's not honoring to God. Listen carefully, please. We must never forget this world and its ways are diametrically opposed to God and his word. Let me say that again. We must never forget this world and its ways are diametrically opposed to God and his word. Let me give you some verses. You know the verses very well. Here's the problem, please. Churches are taking the music of the world to draw people, the world into the church. They take worldly music. Again, uh, music that you go by a bar on Saturday night, you drive by, you hear music coming out the door, and drive by a church Sunday morning, and the music is the same. It's no different. The words are different, but the music is the same. That ought to be. You ever heard of Fanny Crosby? Fanny Crosby wrote so many of the hymns we sing. She made this thing, I never forget it. By the way, she was blind. She said, the way when I walk through the town, the way I can tell the difference between I walk by a bar and walk by the church is the music it plays. That may be true in her day, but it's not true today. So many churches that play the same music. You have a rock band. Uh, the person that came not too long ago said, Pastor, I'm so glad to be able to come to church and sing hymns. I said, what was the music like the church you went to? They said they have a, uh, electric guitars and big uh, uh, drum traps, we call them like that, and got a, a, like a rock concert. And, and they come in there, and they also they have smoke comes out. During they play in the music, and it's just like a rock concert. And, and my friend, they're taking the ways, the music of the world, to draw people. My friend, that's not right. Let me show you what the Bible says about this world. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God says, Christian, don't be conformed to the world. Yet so many churches are conformed to the world. The music is just like the world. They use the world's music. 1 John 2.15. God said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the, the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. The problem is, too many Christians love the world. They love the music of the world, and they bring the world's music into the church and use it to worship God. My friend, that is wrong. James 4, verse 4, look what it says. This is an eye-opener. He said, to these Christians, ye adulterers, 
and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whoso therefore will be a friend of the world is a what? Enemy of God. So many Christians are friendly with the music to the world. They take the world's music and now want to use it to, to worship God. That is wrong. And notice he called these people adulterers. Adulterers, not physically, but spiritually. When we take the ways of this world and become worldly, we are committing spiritual adultery. And know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. So many churches, the music is so friendly to the world. It's just like the world. And my friend, that ought not to be. Listen, also, we're not to do God's work with worldly methods. We're not to do God's work with worldly methods. You have your Bible still? Go to 1 Chronicles, please. 1 Chronicles in the Old Testament. Let me show you an example where David did something that was the right thing to do, but did it the wrong way and brought disastrous results. He used the world's method to accomplish something he wanted to do for God and it brought disastrous results. So many churches are using the world's methods to do uh, God's work, and it is wrong. Second Chronicles chapter 13, page 646, please. Page 646. When you find that, let go of here, please. And we're just about done this morning. David is now king of Israel. David wanted God's blessing and God's presence in his kingdom. And the first thing he sought to do, he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence, to, to his, where he was reigning as king. And the Ark of the Covenant, prior to that, was captured by the Philistines. Remember, Israel went to battle and took the Ark of the Covenant with them. They were defeated in battle, and the Philistines captured the Ark and took it to their uh, place. And then God began to plague the Philistines because they took the Ark of the Covenant. And to the place where they did, they took the cart, they took the Ark of the Covenant, and sent it back to Jerusalem, to God's people. And they did it. They put it on a new cart. And oxen carried it to Jerusalem. And now David is now the king of Israel. And he wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to where he was reigning. And look with me, will please, in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 1. 13, verse 1. And David consulted with the captains and the thousands, the hundreds, and every leader, verse 2, and David said unto all the congregation, If it seem good to you, that it be of the Lord thy God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere. And it goes on to say in verse 3, And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired it not in the days of Saul. They did not bring the ark of covenant when Saul was king, but now David's king. I want God's presence. I want his blessings. In verse 4, And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. You can do the right thing the wrong way and bring disastrous results. We want to see that David did that. And verse 7, And they carried the ark of God on, in a new cart out of the house of Abinadad, and Uzzah and Ohio drave the cart. Verse 9, And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand and hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled, stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand on the ark, and, and there he died before God. And, da and David was displeased because God made a breach upon Uzzah. 
So they did the right thing. Was it the right thing for them to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Israel? Yes. How did they do it? They did it on a cart. By the way, where did they learn how to bring uh, the Ark of the Covenant on a cart? The Philistines. They learned it from the ways of the world. The Philistines did that, and everything was right good. So they wanted to do the same thing the Philistines did. They brought the Ark of the Covenant to Israel on a cart, and disaster result, a man was struck dead because of it. Now, chapter 15, please. David learns. It said, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched it for a tent. Verse 2, David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. In other words, now he does the right thing God's way. And he carries the ark on the staves, poles, on the shoulders of the Levites. He first did it the world's way, disaster results. Now he does the right thing God's way. And if you skip all the way down to verse 26, when it happened, it said, And it came to pass when God helped the Levites to bear the ark. God not only blessed them, he helped them. So I'm trying to say this. It is wrong to do God's work the world's way. David tried it, and look what happened. Then he began to do God's work God's way. God only blessed them, but he helped them. Here's the problem. People come into the church. People, pastors want to serve God and worship him the world's way. They learn the ways of the Philistines, the unsaved, and use the ways of the world, the world's music, to praise God. My friend, nothing can be further from the truth. It is wrong, and I encourage you to make sure the next pastor does not do that. I'm sure he have his desire of music. And so when you, the new man comes, find out what he preaches about the gospel and find out what kind of music he wants. Make sure it's biblical music for the purpose of Scripture and glorifies God. Close your Bibles, please. I'll preach in another message next Sunday on another essential element of the man you're looking for in a pastor. A verse we all know, and I'm going to focus on a phrase here I'm going to use for salvation, but also for uh, music. How many know Ephesians 2, 8, 9? I believe it would be on the screen up there. It says, for by grace are you saved through what? Faith. I want to focus on the next phrase and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice salvation is given to us by grace, by God's undeserved and merited favor through faith. The salvation is not of yourself. The salvation is a gift from God. The salvation is not by works. Why? Lest any man should boast. The reason why the gospel of grace is offensive to man, because it says there's nothing a man can enter into his salvation. There's nothing you can do that's pleasing to God. Nothing you can do of yourself as work or merit that God accepts. It's not of yourself. It's not of works, like man should boast. When salvation becomes the works of man, man can boast about it. So basically, salvation, my friend, is not about you. It's about Christ. Though salvation is for us. It's a gift. But it's not of works like he mentioned boast. The same is true of worship. Worship, my friend, is not about you. It's about Christ. The word that not of yourselves means concerning you. 
When you come into church, the music that we sing is not concerning you. It's not about you and how it makes you feel. It's not how it pleases you. It's about God and how it pleases him. We're to worship him. Don't make music man-centered. Make it Christ-centered. And so, so many people go to churches because of the way it makes them feel. And, and about what it does for me. My friend, it's not about you. It's about Christ. And when you sing, we're not singing for you. We're singing to the Lord, amen? And doing it for him. And I encourage you that when you sing, let us know why you have been. As long as you live, sing. Praises to him for what he's done. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please, I've been speaking to believers, specifically those who are members of our church, and encouraging what to look for in the next pastor of this church. For me here today, you're not certain that you have a home in heaven. You're not certain you have eternal life. You may have always thought the salvation that God offers is gained by your works. Your conduct is how you live and how you behave determines where you go when you die. My friend, nothing could be further from the truth. A verse we saw on the screen, the Bible says we're saved, delivered from hell by God's grace through our faith. This salvation is not obtained by anything you do yourself. It is a gift from God. It's not by works, unless you should boast about it. So salvation comes to what Christ has done for us. And it's our trust, our faith, dependence upon him that brings salvation. When you realize you cannot save yourself and trust Christ to save you, God would do that. He'll give you a gift of eternal life the moment you do that. If you have never personally trusted Christ to be your Savior, why not do it right now? Why not take God at his word and believe what the Bible says? That salvation is a grace by God's grace. It's through your faith. It's a gift. It's not obtained by anything you do yourself. It's not by works. Lest you should boast about it. And I encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, why not do it right now? Why not take God at his word and trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior? The moment you do that, he will forgive you and give you a home in heaven. See, Pastor, that's good news. Yes, it is. If you never did it before, why not do it right now? Why not talk to God in your own thoughts? Right where you're sitting, maybe say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned. I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. The judgment that I deserve, he took upon himself. And I believe when he died on the cross, he died for me. He died in my place to pay for my sin. He was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ. I'm believing in Christ as my Savior here today. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me a home in heaven. My friend, if you do that, he will save you. So heads bowed and eyes still closed. Does that make sense to you? Did you pray that prayer and trust Christ as your Savior today? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for those who did that this morning. I'm not going to have you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one to be put on the spot. But if what I said made sense to you and you prayed today to receive Christ as your Savior, allow me to rejoice with you and pray for you. 
Would you simply, right where you had his heads about and eyes are closed, would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? Lord, all pastor, here's my hand. I trust in Christ. Would you pray for me this morning? Here's my hand. I made that decision. And we're all. Father in heaven, I hope that means each one has already made that decision, that heaven's your home, they have eternal life. I pray, Father, that we as God's people would determine from your word what the purpose of music is. The purpose of music is not man-centered, it's God-centered. And may we use it to glorify, to praise you for all that you have done or do in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.